Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. But 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 in the English Standard Version, it reads, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on. I want to share the subject, what do you have in the house? It's really a question. A question that I hope at the end of our message today will be a declaration for you. What do you have in the house? First and second kings are part of the historical annals of the Old Testament. They record the reigns of the kings of the northern kingdom and southern kingdom of Israel. Elisha was the second act of the towering titanic prophetic tandem who ministered to the northern kingdom of Israel during a time of rampant idolatry and moral degeneracy. Elisha followed his mentor Elijah in the prophetic ministry and like his predecessor, his ministry was validated was validated by the performance of miracles. One of those miracles is recorded in our text. It involved a single mother, a widowed single mother and her two sons. Some believe that the woman in this text was the wife of Obadiah, who in 1 Kings chapter 18 provided asylum and sanctuary to the prophets that were being harassed and haunted by King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. He was most likely one of the prophetic apprentices who had associated and aligned 
themselves with the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, his successor. One can surmise from this text that this woman's deceased husband's dedication to preserving the faith and the ministry of the prophets, however noble and commendable it was, had left her and her two sons in a difficult situation financially. In verse 2 of the text, during the interaction between the prophet and this woman in our text, a question is asked. The question is, what do you have in the house? While it receives an immediate and literal response from this woman, the question also exposes four key movements in this text. Calvary, would you like to know what they are? First of all, there's a problem that could not be solved. The first response our text yields to the question, what do you have in the house, is a problem that could not be solved. The text says, a certain woman. This anonymity leverages the universality in this text. And by doing so, it draws you and me into the story. Because it could be any one of us. She faced a problem that she did not have the resources to solve. This was her situation, even though she and her husband had been dedicated to the ministry. It seemed not only unlikely, but unfair that she found herself in this predicament. She was in over her head. She was packed up against the wall. Her debts were suffocating and the chokehold on her life was tightening because there was a real threat. Her two boys, her two sons could be sold into indentured servitude or slavery to satisfy the creditors. She had lost her husband, and now there was a very real possibility her sons would be taken away from her as well. She could relate to what gospel artist Kurt Carr said when he wrote in one of his signature songs, the problem that I had, the problem that I had, I just couldn't seem to solve. I tried and I tried, but I kept getting deeper involved. Just live long enough and you'll find yourself dealing with a problem you can't solve. What I've characterized over the years of my ministry as a two o'clock phone call in the morning that turns your life upside down. Creating problems of such magnitude that Visa American Express and MasterCard can't get you out of it. And you can't go out into the garage and get in your car and drive away from it. Nor can you go to your closet and dress out of it. Keep on living and life will send you a bill you can't pay. Failure will send a bill that regret can't pay. Death will send a bill that grief can't pay. 
Temptation will send a bill that resolve can't pay. Betrayal will send a bill that friendship can't pay. Disappointment and disillusionment will send bills that good intentions can't pay. Conflict will send a bill that peace can't pay. Confusion will send a bill that understanding can't pay. Sickness will send a bill that the body can't pay. And uncertainty, and there's so much of that now in our lives. Uncertainty will send a bill that security can't pay. So in the first movement of our text, I hope you see it. This woman, this certain woman, she was dealing with a problem that could not be solved. But when we ask the question of the text again, what do you have in the house? There's another movement. There's a prophet, a prophet that could not be silenced. That's the second response in our text. The woman is to be commended here in our text because the text tells us that facing a problem that she could not solve, she cried out to the prophet Elisha. Using my sanctified imagination, this text would suggest that she didn't call social services, the Red Cross or FEMA. She didn't seek a debt counselor or a bankruptcy attorney. She didn't visit a payday loan or the local pawn shop. But what the text tells us is that she cried out to the man of God. James, uh, the brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a leader in the early church, chronicled and canonized the actions of so many like this woman in his epistle when he wrote, is there any sick among you? Let him or her call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save because the fervent effectual prayers do I have a witness here? Are the righteous shall avail much. So while there was dearth, death and destitution in the moral and spiritual life of the nation, God had not left his people without a word. Despite the hostility and antagonism that was directed toward them by the machinations of an evil king in a corrupt state, God's prophets led by Elisha were present and accounted for in the life of the people of God to assure they would hear a word from the Lord. Such an urgent need across this country for our pulpits to be populated by preacher pastors who are not discouraged or who are not distracted, but who stand up yes, sir. on Sunday morning yes, sir. and share from the word of God. Yes, sir. Because Jesus said it this way, man cannot, man cannot live by prayer alone, yes, but by every word. Y'all say every word. Every word, every word that proceeds.
proceeds out of the mouth of God. This sacred task is what Princeton Theological Seminary professor Thomas Long said, preacher's task, the pastor's task is to comfort the disturbed. And sometimes we got to disturb the comfortable. It's the word of God. That gets you from one Sunday to another Sunday. And I don't know about you. Even when I'm preaching. I'm asking the Lord to give me a word. For my situation. Harlem Renaissance poet James Weldon Johnson. Called preachers and pastors. The generational descendants. Of the Old Testament prophets. He called them God's trombones. God's trombones. He understood the priority of the word of God. And the primacy of preaching in the lives of slaves and their descendants who suffered under the heavy yoke of oppression during slavery and segregation. This certain woman in our text would appreciate the dignity and deference that was accorded the preacher pastor in this literary gem by James Weldon Johnson. She knew the prophet could not be silenced. So facing a problem that could not be solved, she reached out to the man of God and shared her predicament. But there's a third movement in the text. When you ask the question of the text, what do you have in the house? There's not just a problem that could not be solved and a prophet that could not be silenced. But here's the third thing. It's a perception that could not be surrendered. After hearing the woman's desperate appeal for support, rather than referring her to the Benevolence Committee, the man of God recognized that her difficulty and her circumstances presented a teachable moment. I love the song through it all. If I never had a problem, I would know God could solve them. Sometimes God got to shake us up in our comfort zone. So we'll learn it is no secret what God can do. In the pivotal exchange with this woman in the text, the Bible says in the New International Version, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except, some translation said, but a small jar of olive oil. She said, I don't have nothing in the house except a little jar of olive oil. This woman had conducted an inventory of her household possessions. And like so many of us, she had a half-empty view of the situation. In her inventory, she almost forgot to mention the small jar of olive oil she found. Her perception was flawed, fragile and finite. It was limited, lamentable, and lacking. But don't look down on her. 
Because so often we act like that. We look at our marriage and we say half empty. We look at our jobs and employment possibilities and we say half empty. We look at our parenting and we say half empty. We look at our ministries God has called us to and we say half empty. And sometimes we even look at our relationship to God and we say half empty. But you know what the word of God tells us? God is ready and willing and able to bless us so that whatever we're dealing with, it's not a half empty situation, but it's a half full situation. How we view our problems and possibilities in life, in marriage, in our families, in our ministries, on our jobs has a great deal to do with our perception. There are only three ways of knowing anything. One is reason or rationalism, which is through our mind, through cognitive processes. The other way is through experience, through our sensory perceptions, experientially, touch, taste, feel, sound. But then there's one other way, and it's the primary way. And the only way of knowing spiritual things is through faith. It is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. See, some of us, we can't trust God unless we see it in the checkbook. We can't trust him unless we feel it in the relationship. We can't trust him unless the commitments are made up front in the ministry. God wants us to trust him by faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Faith is Joshua saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Faith is David saying when he's running from his own child, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou wilt be with me. And later on saying, saying in a time of trouble, he'll hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle, he'll hide me. That's Psalm 27. And he said, I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Faith is Isaiah saying, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up on wings as eagles run and not be weary. Walk and not be tired. Faith is Paul saying in prison, my God shall supply all. Y'all say all. He said, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And because I'm walking by faith, I don't look at any crisis, any problem as a glass half empty. I'm just waiting to see what God's going to do. When my soul looks back and wonder how I got over, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? And the problem that could not be solved. Prophet that could not be silenced. 
perception that could not be surrendered. But when I asked the text the question, what is in the house? One other thing emerged. There's a provision that could not be surpassed. When her inventory was revised to include the little jar, a pot of oil, the prophet gave her some directives. This woman, she went out into her neighborhood. She borrowed vessels from her neighbors. But I don't want you all to miss the spiritual application. But I want you to know as a child of God, that you have some good neighbors. Experience is a good neighbor. Wise counsel is a good neighbor. If you're a young person, you ought to find some older person who's already gone down the road you travel. Because wise counsel can be a good neighbor. Prayer is a good neighbor. The word of God is a good neighbor. And I know a lot of folk that got used to this virtual space. But fellowship with other believers is a good neighbor. She went inside her house. What I love about this text is she took her bars with her inside and she closed the blinds. Sometimes we need to take our children into our sanctuary. Not just the one at the church, but the one at home. They don't need to see us doing all our shouting, all our praying, all our Bible study when we get to church. They need to see us at home, down on our knees, saying, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. Know the help I know. God met her request, fulfilled her needs, all the vessels were full. And I get the sense that if she had asked for more vessels, if she'd asked for more from her neighbors, God would have filled them too. Some of us shortchange our blessings because we go to God with a thimble when we ought to go with a bear. Do I have a witness? Well, I'm almost done. This woman is fallen humanity who has sinned and sinned on our grace account wow. and was facing bankruptcy wow. and judgment yes. because the Bible says we had a debt that we could not pay yes, sir. because all had sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was none righteous, no, not one, but God refusing to be silent or subdued or surrender his plan for our salvation for the human race to be reconciled by grace. He came down, he came down through 42 generations. He wrapped himself up in human flesh and form. Jesus was just a little part of all that God offered to a broken world, a provision 
I know I have a witness here that cannot be surpassed. Jesus is, Jesus is a gift that keeps on giving. Someone said of Jesus, this little part of all, he never wrote a book. He never held office. He never married, had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born. He did nothing that would associate himself with greatness. He was arrested. He was put through the mockery of a trial. He was crucified between two thieves. He was laid in a tomb that he borrowed. But y'all know the story he got up that first Sunday morning. And after 2,000 years, all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments and congresses that ever sat, and all the kings and queens that ever reigned, there's never been any one person, any one person that affected our lives more than Jesus. But Calvary, do you know him? Is there anybody in here that really know him? I want y'all to know, I know him for myself. He's a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he's able to step out in the midst of a storm and sea and say, peace, be still. He'll put food on your table. He'll put clothes on your back. Do I have a witness here? You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.